invite you to turn with me this afternoon to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Interesting to note that both of Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians place an emphasis, uh, unlike any other epistle, on the second coming of Christ, the glorious truth that he is coming. If you're looking for uh, the key passages that pertain to Christ's second coming, uh, Thessalonians is very much either first or second would be two letters that you would want to be familiar with. Placing an emphasis on that truth, as I said a moment ago, I'm afraid at times we don't uh, give enough attention to the truth that Christ is coming again. And yet he is, and we know he is. We know that redemption is destined to be consummated, and that that consummation has to have Christ in person among his people, with a new heavens and a new earth being brought in by his return. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll take the time to read the entire chapter, not going to try to expound the entire chapter, but I do want to focus on a particular text and then illustrate the truth of that text by what's going on in the world today. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, this is the word of God, let us hear it. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you see right away there the emphasis on what I'm talking about. Here is an exhortation that is based now on this truth of the coming of Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Can I pause there long enough to recommend a sermon to you? Look up Dr. Allison's sermon on this passage in Second Thessalonians, and he will build for you a very strong case, a case that was held by the Reformers, that it is the Pope of Rome. That is the Antichrist. That has been historically the Protestant view. And only in more modern days has that view been replaced with other notions. Verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And let me pause here long enough to underscore the words in verse 6. Withholdeth, now ye know what withholdeth, 
And the word letteth in verse 7, only he who now letteth will let. And take note that those are the same word in the Greek, and they carry the literal meaning of restraint. Now you know what restraineth, you could read verse 6. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all powers and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. We'll end our reading at the end of the chapter. And we know that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. In verse 7, Paul makes reference to the mystery of iniquity, which is already at work. There's a sense, you know, in which iniquity has always been a very great mystery. How could man, being created in righteousness and holiness, and knowledge, and placed in the Garden of Eden, in an environment that gave him every advantage, how could he sin? How could he cast that away? How could he first internally destroy himself, which then would be followed by the action of disobedience? It is indeed a great mystery. I think it defies explanation. But this much we can say for sure. It is true. And the proof of it is in the, is in the pudding, so to speak. Because just as God gave warning that when man sinned, man would die. Man has been dying ever since. So we see the proof uh, of iniquity. This is one of the things that the Lord used to convince me in my salvation, of the authority and the accuracy of the Bible. The explanation that it gives for the state of the world in which we find it, I think is uh, really very simple, uh, even if it is profound and mysterious. 
And that explanation is found in the single word, three letters, sin. Sin explains the state of this world. And very often throughout the course of history, in acts of judgment, God gives a people over to sin uh, in an act of judgment against sin. And that's what brings us to our text this afternoon that is found in verse 11, where Paul writes, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Well, you don't have to look very far, do you, to find the truth of that today. Men are under incredible delusion. Men are believing lies today as never before. Now, I read an article recently that calls upon Christians to combat lies with God's truth. It was an article that makes reference to an institution, and I can't say that I'm all very familiar with it. It's called the American Worldview Inventory. In 2021, the American Worldview Inventory released data analyzing the top 10 most prevalent, seductive, unbiblical ideas embraced by American adults. With contemporary culture becoming more secular, belief systems divergent from Scripture are not surprising. What is surprising, however, is that even among adults who have a biblical worldview, 6% harbor many secular beliefs as part of their personal philosophy. There are Christians, professing Christians, that are being lured into the delusion, you could say, and are believing, at least some, are a good part of the lies. Let me highlight some of these lies to you. I'll do little more than mention them. The author of this article actually mentions ten. Uh, some of them, I think, uh, uh, you'll, you'll discover, uh, overlap each other. And uh, number one, here is um, the first one listed, and I don't know that there's any priority in the listing of these as to which ones are more prevalent than others. Uh, but number one, the spirituality inclusive idea that having faith matters more than what faith you have. You familiar with that delusion? Basically, it's the idea that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something, and as long as you believe it sincerely. So you can believe anything, and if you believe it sincerely, well, that works for you, that's good for you. Uh, it's a lie. It's part of the delusion. And part of what we have to equip ourselves for is to stand against the kind of lie, and, and, and to stand for the reproach that is our portion as Christians for being exclusivists, if you will. 
when Christ says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That does not make allowance for other ways into heaven. We are a part of an exclusive belief system, if you will. Christianity is an exclusive religion. There are those that want to broaden it as far as they possibly can. And let's face it, you certainly can gain greater popularity that way. I have no doubt we would find an easier time uh, filling these chairs if we could be more broad-minded, so to speak, uh, in our worldview or our religion. But much more important to stand for the truth than to fill empty seats. So most gladly do we affirm the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Number two, and this is in a similar vein, the notion that all faiths are equal. And you can see how that would tie into what I just described. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And uh, the object of your faith is not a matter of any serious consequence. If it works for you, good for you. It may not work for me. Something else may work better for me. So don't try to foist upon me your faith, and I won't try to foist upon you my faith, but let's just be happy that we both have faith. Uh, It's part of the delusion, folks. Don't buy it. Don't ever subscribe to it. In Acts 4 and verse 12, Paul said, There is salvation uh, in none other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I said Paul said that. Actually, it was Peter who made that remark. But none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let's not ever forget that. Let's not ever be ashamed of that. And when you think of what was involved even for Christ to bring salvation, then it makes perfect sense that it couldn't possibly come from any other way. Nobody was qualified to do what Christ did. No one could succeed in doing what Christ did. No one lived the life that Christ lived. No one could, by virtue of being the Son of God, pay the kind of debt that Christ paid. It makes perfect sense to say that there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we we must be saved. What other name could there be? that could do what Christ has done. And here again, we are willing to bear the reproach of being an exclusive religion, and we're not going to exchange the exclusivity of Christ for a delusion or a lie. Again, the reminder, what Paul writes to the Thessalonians, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. It's an act of judgment for this cause. For what cause? For the cause of his kingdom. For the cause of his church. For the cause of his truth, which they have rejected. God will send them strong delusion. 
And when I look at the, del that, the delusions that are about us today, I can't help but marvel how strong they are. People really do believe wholeheartedly much of the nonsense that's being propagated today. Number three, belief in the Eastern religious concept of karma. Okay, this one reminds me a little bit of my unsaved days because when I was um, an unsaved pagan, I had no interest in Christianity at all, but I did have a certain fascination with the Eastern religions. Transcendental meditation was big at that time, and I remember being impressed by what appeared to be the tranquility of the advocates of um, that kind of religion. It's part of the delusion, folks. This author notes 57% of Americans believe in karma. The Eastern notion of karma, which says that actions in this life will be rewarded or punished in a future life, is not grounded in biblical teaching. Of course, the Bible does teach that our actions will have consequences, but the only action that affects our future state is whether we respond or not to the gospel. Klassen, he's one of the uh, ranking officials with this um, worldview um, association. He emphasizes that this should not be confused with Jesus' teaching on you reap what you sow. What's different, though, with this whole idea of karma is that what you do in this world will affect some sort of reincarnated version of yourself in another life. And so again, as Christians, we believe works don't get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is Jesus Christ. So don't be caught up in any kind of delusion as it pertains to Eastern religions or reincarnation, popular though they may seem. Number four, here is another contributing uh, factor in the lies or the delusion. And this is a big one and a popular one. The dismissal of absolute truth. The dismissal of absolute truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. So they say dogmatically, as if to establish an absolute truth in their denial of absolute truth. Well, Look with me, if you would, briefly at Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1. And I want to call your attention here to a purpose statement. It's always great in your reading of God's Word if you can come up with a verse that shows you uh, very, very clearly why this gospel or why this epistle was written. And let me begin just in verse 1 of Luke chapter 1, where Luke writes, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order most ex 
excellent Theophilus. And then focus in on verse 4, because here is the purpose statement, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Now, many years ago, when I preached through the book of Acts, I suggested to you that the purpose statement that you find here in Luke chapter 1 and verse 4 can also carry over into the book of Acts. Acts, we know, was also written by Luke. Acts, just like the gospel of Luke, was written to a man by the name of Theophilus. I think... um, Bible scholars rightly identify the book of Acts as Luke's Gospel, Volume 2. And so you can say then with regard to Luke or Luke, Volume 2, which is the book of Acts, that the book was written with this express purpose in view, that we might know the certainty of the things in which we've been instructed. What is certainty? Well, it's absolute truth. That we might know the absolute truth of Jesus Christ. And if someone is to suggest to you that they're happy for you because your religion works for you, but don't try to foist it upon me because I don't know that it will work for me, The thing that you need to keep in mind is we don't subscribe to this religion because it works for us. We subscribe to it because it's true. And it's true in the absolute sense. So absolute certainty. It is dismissed today. And here again, we will have to bear the reproach of affirming something that the world denies because the world is under this delusion, this strong delusion that God sends in an act of judgment. Number five, in a similar vein, commitment to personal subjective morality. The author notes, most people are absolutely committed to the idea that morality is individualistic, and that there is no outside standard to which people will ultimately be held accountable. And you know what? If the gospel isn't true, and if Christ isn't true, and if there is no God in heaven, then yeah, each one might as well do that which is right in his own eyes. Because who are we to tell anybody what's right and what's wrong if there is no standard outside of ourselves to direct our morality to us. And my, how prevalent that notion is today. Not only in denying uh, ethical truths, but even in denying physical truths. Don't you call me a man if I want you to call me a woman. What does that amount to? It's a denial of objective reality. It's up to you to decide everything. And and really, as silly as the notion sounds, as ridiculous as the notion is that you can determine your own gender, yet, if there is no God in heaven who has declared his word, who has revealed himself to be the creator, who is the author of 
reality as we know it, well, then it leaves you free to affirm whatever ridiculous reality you want to affirm. All part of the delusion. Okay? Number six. This one, I think, is very common today, too. The idea that people are basically good. The idea that people are basically good. My, how unscriptural that is. And what a blessing to be able to have found the grace to affirm with regard to your own lives that you see yourselves as sinners that come short of the glory of God. Those are the ones Christ came to save. The ones that think that they're basically good have no need of a Savior. Why would Christ have died for them? They don't need Him. They're fine on their own. They're basically good. A few slip-ups perhaps along the way, but no big deal, especially when weighed in the balances of how good I am versus how bad I am. The good that I do far outweighs the bad. So the thinking of the world goes. And what that reveals is no knowledge of God, no knowledge of the character of God, no knowledge really of yourself or the law of God or how far short you come uh, to measuring up to that law. The idea that people are basically good is part of the delusion. Number seven, and this is one I I think we have to guard ourselves against at times because we are tempted to uh, believe this along the way. Number seven, success is determined by happiness, comfort, goodness, or fulfilled potential. Clausen explained that contrary to popular belief, success is determined by faithfulness to God. It is required in a steward that a man be found faithful, Paul writes. Not that a man be found successful, especially successful as the world defines success. So that's part of the delusion as well. Number eight, sexual relations apart from marriage are morally acceptable. In his Washington Watch interview, Claussen was not surprised that 74% of Americans believe sexual relations apart from marriage is morally acceptable. Thankfully, those who are Christians were very low in this poll. But outside the church, this is just the natural morality that you find, he noted. And if you don't believe in the truth of God's word, and in the truth of his commandments, then what do you do? You go by how something feels physically. If it's pleasurable, it must be right. 74% of Americans will say, and probably too many Christians as well. Number nine, this is kind of uh, the other side of a coin of one we just considered. Rejection of the notion that people are inherently sinful. Oh, not a popular notion, is it? And yet it is the truth of God's word. We are inherently sinful. 
We were born as sinners. The man who originally represented us sinned and pulled the the whole human race into sin. It's rather amazing to note here, the American Worldview Inventory identified that 44% of born-again Christians do not accept the idea that people are born into sin. I look at a statement like that and it causes me to marvel. Does that mean that 44% of born-again Christians don't bother to read their Bibles? There is a great deal of Bible illiteracy in our world today. I'm reminded of the time when we lived in Greenville and I worked in a I worked in a, a laboratory, a clothing lab for a clothing manufacturing company. And it was uh, me and two ladies that worked in this lab. Both these ladies were Southern Baptists. There was an article in the paper, and I'm really quite amazed that uh, even the, the secular paper like the Greenville News would print such an article. And what this article said was that, and I forget the number, but it was a very large percentage of Southern Baptists, okay, the the largest Protestant denomination in America, something like 75% of them couldn't even name the four Gospels. And I'm reading this article to myself, and I was aware that these two ladies were both Southern Baptists, so I said to them, Can you ladies name the four Gospels? One of them turned as red as a beet. She was angry and embarrassed. She obviously couldn't name the four Gospels. The other lady hazarded a guess. And I could tell by the tone in her voice that she was guessing. And she guessed right. Let's give her credit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm sure I could have talked her out of the answer had I... uh, had a mind to do so. But this was more than 20 years ago. And Bible illiteracy at that point in time was bad. I can't imagine that it's gotten much better uh, unless homeschool culture would contribute to the trend. But rejection of the notion that people are inherently sinful Don't buy into the delusion. Don't buy into the devil's lie. It may be popular, but truth is not truth because it uh, gains its status by popular acclaim. If that were the case, then truth would be ever-changing, wouldn't it? You don't have to go back too many years in which all the world, all the culture, would say that homosexuality is sin. Uh, today they won't say it by and large. Well, what's happened? You know, has morality changed? No. But if you have no standard for your morality, and there is no God in heaven, and no truth of the gospel, well then, yeah, morality, I guess, can change according to whatever is popular at the time, popular notions. And that's why today's sin will be tomorrow's virtue, and today's virtue will be tomorrow's sin. And we found that to be the trend 
in our day and age. And then number 10, last one. The purpose of accumulated personal wealth is unrelated to God's purposes. Although this is a prevalent idea, the Bible instructs Christians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, saying, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I hope that you labor not merely to make money. I hope you labor for the glory of God. I hope the quality of work you do is top-notch in according with the abilities that God has given you because you do this for His honor and glory. You don't do it simply to climb the ladder in whatever company you're working for or stuff the boss's coffers or pad your own bank account. If you do get promoted, thank God for it. If you make more money, well, that's cause for thanksgiving as well. But I trust you have a motivation that goes beyond that. Uh, and if you don't have a motivation that goes beyond that, uh, chances are you're, you're going to be really bothered in your workplace. Why does so-and-so make that much money and I only make this much? Um, I used to make it a habit. I, I, I never, when I worked in printing, I never told anybody what I made. I never wanted to know what anybody else made. I remember one of the people I worked with, and uh, he was somewhat uh, wise after the world in this respect, when he pointed out that if I make more money, it's to your advantage because it at least creates the potential for you to make more too. So, okay. But the purpose of accumulated personal wealth is related to God's purpose. We make what he wants us to make, and we have a higher end than just the worldly ambitions of uh, making money uh, for ourselves. So I call your attention back to the message we heard Derek Bowman preach, and I'd never heard a message on this topic before. I recommend go back and listen to it again. The theology of work. Very good word that he gave in that regard. And among the reasons listed uh, is that we work in order to gain the opportunity to be generous to others for the honor and glory of Christ. So once again, from our text in 2 Thessalonians, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Boy, there's, there's fulfilled prophecy right in front of us. Uh, don't be pulled into the strong delusion. Don't believe the lie. Make sure you're in God's word. Make sure you're seeking after Christ. Make sure you're living for his honor and glory. Well, let's close in prayer then. And let's all pray. Dear Lord, as we bow in thy presence now and bring this meeting to a close, we thank you for the truth of thy word. We thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the truth of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that by thy grace and through the work of thy spirit, we've been delivered from strong delusion and from the lies that are ever about us and being propagated through 
every conceivable means. O Lord, we pray that thou wilt lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, O Lord, and keep us free from the strong delusions, and may we remain free from ever thinking that truth is determined by popular acclaim. Oh, may we be convinced, O Lord, that truth is revealed in thy word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.